we kind of have this perception that these people in the Hall of Heroes are these people that are way up here and that we could never be anything like them. But what I love about when we get to these stories about Abraham, Isaac, Sarah, Jacob, and Joseph, when we look at these stories, is we see that these people, these heroes of our faith, are just as jacked up as we are. And that makes me feel good. Because it makes me feel like God can still use me. God can still use me. And what we're going to see with Abraham is that he didn't start out as a hero of the faith. In fact, it's, it's almost the opposite. He was kind of a chump when it came to his faith as we're going to see this morning. And, and I started thinking about that this week, this past week. How many of you guys had trick-or-treaters at your door? Anybody besides me? Okay, four of us. Excellent. The rest of you are probably more spiritual and don't do Halloween. But anyways, uh, so we had a ton of superheroes. Anybody see superheroes out this year? What is it about superheroes? Why do we have so many superhero movies coming out, coming up? I, I started thinking about that this week, and what, one of the things that I, I noticed was a lot of these superheroes that we, that we look up to, they're kind of messed up. They're not perfect. You know, why is it that for a while Superman kind of just became lame? It's, it's because he had no weaknesses. So they had to invent kryptonite. They had to invent a weakness for him, where, whereas all these other superheroes have problems. And I found this quote this past week that I love. It says, we love heroes, but we are no longer looking for heroes who stand above us. We're looking for heroes who are like us. Flawed, broken, troubled, even tortured. We don't just want to be rescued. We want to believe that even messed up people like us can still become great. Does that resonate with you the same way it did with me? I read that and I was like, absolutely. I want to believe that messed up people like me can still become great. And that's what we're going to see with the story of Abram. We're going to start in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, and see what it says about Abraham, this hero of the faith. Hebrews 8, 11 through 10 says, By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and went out to the place he was going to receive his inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Now we see Abraham, and just to get a little bit of of context about who Abraham was. He's, he's this man who God calls and God makes a special promise to him. He says, I'm going to make you a great nation and from you all nations of the earth will be blessed. But throughout his life, uh, God calls Abraham and puts Abraham through what we're going to look at over the next few weeks. There are three tests that Abraham has to go through. And the first test that Abraham has to go through is the test of leaving. The test of leaving, and through this test, he's going to learn to trust in God's promise. He's got to learn to trust in God's promise, and we're going to see that his nephew Lot is going to kind of be the symbol for this test, that he's got to learn to leave everything behind in order to get all that God has promised him. And we see what I love about these tests that we're going to go through with Abraham, Abram, is that these are the exact same tests that God is going to put us through as we go through the exact same curriculum that Abraham went through, as he learned to trust God. Because again, he didn't start out as a hero in the faith. This was a long process where he learned little by little to trust in God and to obey his commands. And I I think this is so encouraging to me because I know over and over again, God has continually put me through these tests so that more and more I can learn to trust and follow and obey him. 
So let's, let's look at Abram. Abram, a little bit about him is that he grew up in the city of Ur. And we have a little map here to kind of, we're going to follow along his journey with this map. So we see down here, this is modern day Iran. This is just south of Babylon. And he is right here in the city of Ur. And this is where God first calls him. He's about 100 miles southwest of Iran in present-day Iraq. And in, in this area, Babylon, they worshiped the moon god. But one day, the true and living God comes to Abraham and speaks to him while he's in Ur. And we read this in Genesis chapter 12. It says, The Lord said to Abram, Go out from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you to a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who treat you with contempt. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So God makes Abram for, uh, God makes Abram this, this promise that he's going to become the father of a great nation, and that all the people of the earth are going to be blessed through him. The implication of this is that Abram is going to have descendants, that Abraham is going to have children. Now, this is a big deal because at this time, Abraham is 75 years old. His wife is 65. Their time for having kids has passed. And at this point in his life, he wants nothing more than to have a son, a descendant, an heir. And he would give up everything for that to become reality. And so God makes him this promise, but God says, you know what, first, you're going to have to do four things. He says, you're going to have to leave your land, you're going to have to leave your relatives, you're going to have to leave your father's household, and you're going to have to go to the land that I show you. Now, let's see how Abraham does this, uh, how well he does this, because you and I are going to face a very similar test as Abraham, the test of leaving. Are we willing to leave behind everything that we have, everything that we know, to put our trust in God's promises to follow him? We face that same, same test today. So let's look at the test of leaving, learning to trust in God's promise. What we're going to see is that it's going to take Abraham three tries to obey God, to fully obey God and get to a point where he's obeyed everything that he does. The first try is when he leaves from Ur to Haran, and we've got a little map here that's going to show his journey from Ur to Haran. So here's the promised land. Abraham doesn't yet know where it is, but he knows it's Canaan. Uh, uh, He knows about where God's calling him to go. So he leaves from Ur and goes up to Haran, and we read about this in Genesis chapter 12, verses 4 through 5. Now you read this, and you may think that God's calling him directly out of Babylon uh, to go to, to Canaan, that this follows right right after that God's calling him while he's in Haran, excuse me, but we know from Acts 7 that God spoke to him first when he was in Ur. So his first trek, let's look at that map again, is from Ur to Haran. So let's see. Let's see what happens here in verse 4. It says, So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him, and Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated, and all the people he had acquired in Haran, and they set out to the land of Canaan. So here's what happens. Abram goes from Ur to Haran, but he takes his father, Terah, with him. Now, what, what were the things that God called him to do? He goes to Haran with Terah and Lot. Has he left the land that he lived in? Has he done that? Yeah, so check. That's one for four, all right? Has he left his father's household? No, he takes his dad with him. 
Has he left his relatives? No, he takes his nephew Lot with him. Has he taken, has he gone to the land that God has shown him? No, he stops in Haran. He gets sidetracked. Here's the interesting thing. Haran means fruitless. Terah, his dad, his name means delayed. When he delays obedience, it leads to fruitlessness. You can write this down. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Parents, you know exactly what I'm talking about. When you tell your kid, go clean your room, do you expect for it to be done a week from from that time? You want it done now. Delayed obedience is disobedience. And many of you have heard me say this when we talk about parenting. We expect our kids to obey the first time with a happy heart, right? That's what we tell our kids. You ask our kids, how do we expect you to obey the first time with a happy heart? That's what they're going to say. Why? Because that's what God expects from us. He expects us to obey the first time with a happy heart. So here we find Lot has not obeyed the first time with a happy heart. He did just a little bit, but he didn't quite get there. We're going to see that it's going to hinder his progress. So we see that delayed obedience is disobedience. He's trusting God for the land, but not for the family. He says, all right, God, I'll leave my land. I'll trust that you're going to provide the land, but I'm going to hold on to Lot and my dad just in case you don't come through. And then his dad dies, and so he keeps Lot with him. He's got this thing from his past that he holds on to just in case God doesn't come through. And so he's going to make the rest of this journey with Lot. Now, I want to ask you, what are the lots in your life? What are those things from your past that you hold on to just in case God doesn't come through? A lot in your life could be a person. It could be a dream. It could be an aspiration. It could be a habit or an addiction. Anything that you hold on to from your past that keeps you from fully obeying God, keeps you from fully trusting in his promise. Because here's what Abram's thinking. Abram's thinking, I'm 75 years old. My wife is 65 years old. We are way past childbearing years, and there's no way that we could possibly have a kid. So God must mean that he's going to fulfill his promise through Lot, but that's not what God said. And so he holds on to Lot just in case. If you want to know what your Lot is in your life, answer this question. What's the first thing that comes to mind when somebody asks you, have you fully surrendered everything to Jesus Christ? What's the first thing that pops in your mind? That's your Lot. That's the thing that you're unwilling to let go of, that you want to cling to. And in those moments when it seems like God may not come through, that you run to that thing and you put your trust in that rather than in the promises of God. The walk of faith is one that we have to walk and we have to learn it by leaving. Abram was called to leave Lot behind and move into the unknown. Yet because he is yet to fully put his trust in God's promises, he holds on to Lot. How can we expect God to bless us when when we've been so disobedient? This kind of explains what happens next. As he gets into the land of Canaan, we see that something happens. God comes to Abram, and he reaffirms his promise to him. And the same promise that he made back when he was in Ur, he says, I'm going to reaffirm my promise. I'm going to reaffirm my covenant with you, that I'm going to make you into a great nation, that you are going to have descendants, and through you, all people of the earth are going to be blessed. And Abraham, when he has this encounter with God, he builds an altar to the Lord, and he begins worshiping God. 
Now, I don't know about you, but there are times when in my life when I feel like I'm in the center of God's will, I'm doing the things that God wants me to do, I'm worshiping God the way that he wants me to worship him, yet I know deep down that there's a lot in my life, that there is something that I'm holding on to, that there is some area of disobedience. And here's the hard part. As someone who has a lot of experience with delayed obedience, let me tell you, there's always this period of time where you're going to say, you know what, God's still using me. God's still speaking to me in my quiet times. My worship times are still really good. God must not care about my disobedience. And there's that little bit of time when you might start to think that maybe God's going to overlook my disobedience in this area. But as we're going to find out with Abram, it will always catch up to you. It will always catch up to you. God cares about our obedience, and we're going to see that with Abraham and Lot. We start in Genesis 12, verse 10. It says, there was a famine in the land. So Abram has gone from Ur to Haran, and now he's gone from Haran to Canaan. He ends up where God wants him to be. So let's see how he's done so far. Has he left the land that God, from where he's from? Yeah, he leaves the land. Did he leave his father's house? His dad died, so that made that decision pretty easy. All right. Has he gone to the land where God's shown him? Yeah, he's in Canaan. He's in the promised land. Has he left his relatives? No, he still has Lot with him. So we read this. There was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was so severe. All right, so here's what happens. He's still hanging on to Lot. He still has that Lot in his life, that little area of disobedience. And so God sends the famine. God sends the famine to grab his attention. And I don't know about you, have you ever experienced a famine in your life, something where you just say, you know what, maybe God's trying to get my attention about something. And we have a choice in that moment. We can say, perhaps God is trying to get my attention about this area of disobedience, and maybe I should obey. Or we can say, as Abram says, Abram says, you know what, God's not going to take care of me because I have this area of disobedience. I'm going to have to take care of this myself. I'm going to take control. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. Rather than obeying God, he says, you know what? I'm going to step away, and I'm going to take things under my own control, and I'm going to have to take care of the situation myself. And so Abram decides, rather than send Lot away and see if, if perhaps that was the reason why God sends the famine in the land where he had promised that he was going to take care of him, Lot decides to go to Egypt. Now, what you need to know about Egypt is that Egypt is a place that no candidate for the Hall of Faith would ever want to go. It is a center of idolatry. It is the center of everything wrong in the world. And yet, Abram's only choice is to go to the land of Egypt because he's not willing to part with Abram. So he decides that he's going to go to Egypt. And here's the thing about Abram and Sarah. As they're entering in the land, Abram looks at his 65-year-old wife and he says, Honey, you are as beautiful as the day I met you. And that is not a good thing. Because when we get to Egypt, they're going to kill me and take you for their wife. So when we go into Egypt, here's what I want you to do. I want you to tell people that you're my sister. Let's just say that you're my sister. And so they go into the land and they go into Egypt and they present, present themselves as brothers and sister. And Pharaoh looks at Sarah and says, She is beautiful. 
I want that woman to be my wife. So they show Abraham favor. They give him all sorts of stuff so that they can take her in to be Pharaoh's wife. Seems like he's getting away with it again, right? It always catches up to him. It always catches up to him. So eventually what happens, Pharaoh somehow finds out that Sarah is Abraham's sister. And the way he finds out is that everyone in his household gets stricken. They become extremely sick and violently ill. And he comes to Abram and he says, what is this thing that you have done? Why would you tell me that she's your sister, that I would take her as my own wife? And then they get kicked out of Egypt. Now imagine having the most powerful dictator in the world mad at you. How would you feel? How would you feel? I don't know about you, but if I'm Abram, I'm thinking, maybe I should have stayed in Canaan. But here's the thing. Because he is unwilling to let go of Lot, he's got an area of disobedience in his, his life, a small area of sin in his life. It begins to bleed into other areas of his life. And he starts to compromise in other areas by presenting himself to Pharaoh as brother and sister. And here's what we learn from that is that sin is never stable. It always grows. Disobedience in one area of your life will lead to disobedience in another area of life, just as it does with Abram. And they get escorted out of Egypt. They get not escorted. They get kicked out of Egypt. And they're escorted out by, by the guards, by everyone. Everyone in Egypt is mad at them. The most powerful country in the world, the most powerful dictator in the world is now mad at them. And you can imagine the conversation that Sarah had with Abraham on the way out. Tell him, I'm your sister. (laughs) Nice plan. I imagine she had a few choice words for her husband at that point. So Abram is now kicked out of Egypt. And he ends up back in the promised land. But he has a problem. He has a problem. Has he left his homeland? Yeah, he's done that. Has he left his father's house? Yeah, he's done that. Has he gone to the land where God showed him? Yeah, he did that. But then he walked away from it, and now he has no other choice but to go back. What's the problem? He's still hanging on to Lot. He's still hanging on to Lot, that one thing in his life that is there just in case God doesn't come through. Something happens to Abram when he gets back from Egypt. Something happens when he comes back. In verse 13, we read this. Chapter 13, verse 1, Then Abram went up from Egypt to the, to the Negev. He, his wife, and all he had, and Lot with him. Abram was very rich in livestock, silver and gold. So as he was there, remember in Egypt, because they took Sarah as, his, as Pharaoh took Sarah as his wife and thought that Abram was her brother, he treated him very well, gave him lots of stuff, so he's gotten very rich. He went from the stages of the Negev to Bethel, the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had formerly been, the site where he had built an altar. And Abram called on the name of Yahweh there. So for the first time, for the first time since he's left Ur, we read that Abram finally calls on the name of the Lord. God has spoken to Abram, but this is the first time that Abram calls out to the Lord. And I think in that conversation, Abram has a moment of repentance that he and God have a heart-to-heart talk about all the stuff that he's been through. And God says, Abram, you know what I've asked you to do. You know exactly what you need to do. Just do it. Just obey. 
trust. Trust my promises and leave the things of the past behind. Now, I don't know that for sure because the text doesn't tell us, but based on what happens next, I think there's this moment in that conversation where Lot calls on the name of the Lord where he realizes what he needs to do. We read this in verse 8. Then Abram said to Lot, Please let us not have quarreling between you and me or between your herdsmen and my herdsmen since we are relatives. Isn't the whole land before you? Separate from me. If you go left, go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. So because they have so many herds, so many flocks, they have all this stuff, they can't be in the same area. Their herdsmen are fighting over water, they're fighting over the pasture land, and I think it's at this point when Lot says, or when Abram says, you know what, I got to do the thing that I should have done a long time ago. If we're going to stay friends as relatives, we're going to have to separate. The very thing that I should have done way back in Ur, we're going to have to separate. And so he tells Lot, he says, why don't you pick? I'll let you look out over all the land, and I'll let you pick where you want to go, and I'll go the opposite direction. So Lot looks over all the land, and he sees the green Jordan Valley. And then he sees the dry desert area of Judea. And he says, I think I'll take this area over here. Look, there's cities, there's water, there's pasture land. And so he makes a decision based on economics, not realizing, or at least not recognizing, that the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah are in the very area where he's going to settle a decision that he's going to gratefully regret later on. And so Abram is stuck with this dry, arid desert land. And then God comes to him one more time. God comes to him in verses 14 through 18. And he says this. After he's separated from Lot, what does it say, verse 14? After, he had sep- after Lot had separated from him. When does God speak to him? After Lot had separated from him, the Lord said to Abram, Look from the place where you are. Look north and south, east and west. For I will give you you and your offspring forever all the land that you see. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth. And so that if anyone could count the dust of the earth, then your offspring could be counted. Get up, walk around the land through the length and width, for I will give it to you. So Abram finally obeys God. He jettisons the lot from his caravan. God comes to him and says, look, I know you think you gave Lot the best area, but it's still all yours. My promise is through you and your descendants. You can't give away what's not yours. I'm giving you all this land. Everything that you can see is yours because now you've obeyed. Because now you've obeyed. I can bless you. I can walk with you. I can give you all that that I promised beforehand. I don't know about you, but delayed obedience is something that that I've faced a number of times in my life. There have been a number of things in my life, a number of lots that I've held on to. Things that that I just want to hang on to just in case God doesn't come through. And every single one of us, it's, it's something different. For you, it may be a person. For some here this morning, it, it may be a habit that you just can't get rid of because if I get rid of that, what am I going to do when I'm stressed out? Where am I going to go? Rather than saying, you know what? When I get stressed out, I'm going to go to God. For some of us, it may be our finances. Maybe we, we hold a little too tightly to our finances, not trusting that God can provide for us. Every single one of us 
has a lot in our life. That one thing that we hold on to just in case God doesn't come through with his promises. But as we see with Abram, God always comes through with his promises. Think about all the things that Abram went through. These two chapters cover about 10 years of his lifetime, 10 to 15 years of his lifetime. Think about everything that he missed out on in those 10 to 15 years. Those opportunities where God was looking to bless him, looking to walk with him. He missed out because he was hanging on to that lot. He was hanging on to that little piece of his past. Now, some of you here this morning, perhaps you've never put your trust in Christ. Maybe you were raised in a church that taught you that as long as you did enough good things that you would get to heaven, and so you've put your trust in those things. Or perhaps you never went to church and and you just believe that if I'm good enough, all the good things in my life will outweigh the bad things. So I just have to keep being good enough. But what the word of God promises us is that our works will never be good enough. What the word of God tells us in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, is by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. Some of us are holding on to our good works. We're holding on to our good works thinking that that's going to be the thing that saves me. But what God calls us to, the promise that he calls us to trust in is that his son's death on the cross was sufficient for our salvation. And that trusting in Christ and Christ alone is what saves us. So if you're here this morning and that's you and you're saying, you know what, I'm still trusting in my own work rather than in God himself. Would you take that step this morning? Would you take that step to put your trust in Christ and Christ alone? Others of you here this morning may say, you know what, I've trusted Christ a long time ago, but there's still some lots that I'm holding on in my life. Let me ask you, what is that lot? What is that thing from your past that you just can't let go? And if you would only let it go, then you'd experience God's presence and his blessing in your life like you've never experienced it before. Are you willing to leave those things behind in order to receive God's blessing and move forward trusting in his promises. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that your grace is sufficient for us. We thank you that even in those moments of delayed obedience, even in those moments of disobedience, in those times when a little bit of sin creeps into our lives and it begins to spread, that you are a God of second chances. You are a God of a hundred and second chances. That you are always there by your grace, willing to welcome us back into relationship with you, just as you did with Abram. That you are willing to listen. That we have the opportunity to come before you, confess our sin, and begin walking with you again and receive the blessing of your presence in our lives. Receive the blessing of obedience to you. Lord, I pray for those here this morning that have lots in their lives the thing that they're hanging on to from their past.